0: engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. And one glorious nation under God and together we will make America powerful again. We will make america wealthy again we will make america strong again we will make america proud again and we will make america great again friends welcome to praying for america it is always a joy to be with you christians patriots from across the country and visitors from around the world as well a lot of things have happened in the last few days, and I want to take uh, the next two programs, actually, to comment on three things. The, uh, well, the successes that we're having uh, with uh, on some of these college campuses and these universities that are, that are giving, uh, fanning the flames of anti-Semitism. We're seeing some, uh, some victory there. The gag order uh, partially upheld uh, against par- uh, President Trump and the uh, indictment of Hunter Biden. How does all this tie in to the Word of God and to our duty to save this nation? That's what we do on this program. We'll bring you some commentary, but some biblical commentary and uh, relate it to always action. What do we need to do to save this nation, to make it great again? Uh, let me start with Psalm 137, and then we'll start looking at some of these things. And I say we'll take the next two programs to just to make a few points on these things. Psalm 137 reads as follows. By the water of Babylon, there we sat and wept. When we remembered Zion, on the willows there we hung up our harps, for there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing to us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song on alien soil? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither. Let my tongue cleave to my mouth. If I remember you not, if I set not Jerusalem above all my joys. Brothers and sisters, let's turn to the Lord of Jerusalem. Father, we ask you today to awaken your people. We who are members of the body of Christ have Jerusalem in our DNA. We have the law, the prophets, the holy places, the holy land. It is our spiritual heritage as well. We believe that all the law and the prophets are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But we hold these gifts as sacred, sacred from you as you prepared your people to welcome the Messiah. Lord, may we always express our solidarity with Israel. May we always express that it is part of our very identity as Christians to acknowledge the sacred scriptures, the law, the prophets, the covenant, the land. May we always, may we always bear witness to this truth. It is also part of the greatness of America that we stand with Israel and that we recognize that any attacks against Israel are indeed attacks against us. Any hatred for Israel and its people is hatred for America as well. One and the same goal of our enemies to destroy both Israel and America. We stand up firmly against them. We stand against them in the name of Christ to say that their power of hatred and destruction has already been destroyed in the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ and we claim that cross and we claim that blood and we announce that victory and we move forward in your kingdom we pray through Christ our Lord amen all right well you've seen on these college campuses this anti-semitism this pro-Hamas uh, demonstration uh, fervor uh, what's wrong with these people First of all, of course, they have this obvious ignorance of history combined with a deep hatred for the things we stand for. Hatred for the faith. Hatred for our country. Um, You know, they hate our country so much you wonder why they're they're making use of some of our most respected uh, institutions of higher learning, although many of them have no longer earned that respect. But one thing happened that Shows us some cracks in the dam here that we're pushing back in a, in a way that's being noticed. Liz McGill, did you see this? University of Pennsylvania's president resigned. Resigned the other day amid pressure from donors and criticism over her testimony to Congress. Now, Congress brought her in together with um, other uh, university uh, presidents, Harvard and MIT. And, and, and essentially said, then, what's going on with this anti-Semitism? Does this or does this not violate the policy of your school for people to be preaching and shouting and marching with hatred for, for the Jews and for, and for America, too? Calling on campus for genocide. Essentially, you see what's happening here? Let, let's get right to the, to the spiritual core of this. They're being asked if they have a conscience. They're being asked if they recognize genocide as wrong. This is the spiritual root of this problem. Have we completely lost the sense of the sacredness of of human life? Universities across America have been accused of failing to protect Jewish students. who who are increasingly afraid of the anti-Semitism that is being expressed on campuses and worldwide. So calls for the uh, resignation of Liz McGill of the University of Pennsylvania, and I'm reading from a news source here, exploded after Tuesday's testimony in the U.S. House Committee on Anti-Semitism on College Campuses. They gave these university um, presidents gave lawyerly answers. And see, this is the problem, again. Conscience gets swallowed up by legalism. Elise Stefanik of New York repeatedly asked whether calling for the genocide of Jews would violate the Code of Conduct at the University of Pennsylvania. Want to hear the answer that she gave? Typically, lawyerly fashion. This is what people are sick of in politics and also in the church. Because we lose our conscience. This is why people can't speak up against things like abortion. Those, those of you involved in the pro-life movement it's constantly constantly uh, 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 rightly angered over the fact that we can't get any straight answers about, about doing pro-life work and, and what support the churches are going to give. Here's the response that she gives after being asked if calling for the genocide of Jews on campus would violate the university's code of contact quote if the speech turns into conduct it can be harassment yes it's a context dependent decision so what is your your role I I ask these presidents of these universities what 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 is your role to in some kind of detached abstract way devoid of humanity analyze with precision the boundaries of law regarding how some particular message is supposed to fit into the rights of the students to proclaim it. This is what it sounds like some kind of court analysis of speech. This is not what you're being asked. You're being asked if you have a conscience. You're being asked if the university is instilling any kind of conscience. On very basic human awareness that genocide is wrong. Well, she answered in that way, let me read this again. Aren't you sick of this both in the church as well as in, 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 in politics and obviously here in academia? If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment, yes, it's a context-dependent decision. So now, if calls for genocide are right or wrong, it all depends. This is what we're sick of. So criticism actually came down from the White House, from the Democrat governor of Pennsylvania, from members of Congress, and lo and behold, From donors to the university, money talks, Ross Ross Stevens threatened to withdraw a $100 million gift from the University of Pennsylvania for its stance on anti-Semitism on the campus unless McGill was replaced, which apparently now is exactly what is in the process of happening. She has resigned. Well, listen, we're, we're making some progress here, some progress, right, in terms of of uh, seeing some results here. We've got to keep the pressure up. We've got to keep the pressure up as believers. It's not just a geopolitical uh, analysis, not only just a moral analysis of the horror of terrorism, it's a biblical and spiritual reality that we are, we are Jewish in our DNA, people who have accepted Christ we see him as the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, which we also embrace as the word of the Lord. So this is about us. And make no mistake, we've laid it out on several, several previous programs. Make no mistake that uh, when you do look geopolitically, the enemies, what Hamas and, and, and other terrorists over there are doing against Israel and want to do, Remember the, the quote from the river to the sea, Jordan River to Mediterranean Sea. That's the boundaries of Israel. They want to eliminate the, the Jewish people. Remember that this is an attack on us. They're doing it first to them because they're right there in their backyard. doesn't stop there. The hatred for Israel spewed by these demented people, demonic people, is a hatred for America as well. Same kind of values. I want to turn to Isaiah 5 because again you look at this interrogation in the uh, in the Congress as boiling down to one question, do you have a conscience? And there is an eclipse of conscience. This is a characteristic of why America is in such danger right now because our founding fathers did not have any eclipse of conscience. In fact, they created the the Constitution and they declared the Declaration of Independence with the presumption that the people who would be living under these documents and governing themselves according to both the principles, that's the Declaration, and the mechanics, that's the Constitution, of these documents would have a conscience. That's why Madison, was it Adams? Well, all of them were, were saying the religion and virtue are essential for the success of this this experiment in self-governance. The Constitution was written for a moral and religious people. Otherwise, it's not going to be able to restrain heartless and godless behavior. You have to have a conscience in order to govern yourself. Otherwise, you're not going to know which way to go, which way to to, to craft your destiny or craft your public policy. And that's why... What the fifth chapter of Isaiah says is so pertinent here and so important. Let me read from the fifth chapter here. Well, it's a long chapter. Let me go to, uh, well, yeah, let's read some of this. Let's pray here for restoration of conscience. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, oh, let me start from the beginning. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it, cleared it of stones, and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard than I had not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes... Why did it yield wild grapes? Now I will tell you what I will do with my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste that shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up, and I will command the clouds that they rain down, they rain down no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are His pleasant planting. He looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, the outcry. And then um, he goes on to, to talk about repentance. God has planted a nation here in America based on conscience. He planted a beautiful vineyard. And he expects that we yield the fruits of justice, of righteousness, of peace, of love and service, of freedom. When we lose conscience, when we lose sense of the Creator, we lose sense of the creation. We lose sense of God and we lose an awareness of the meaning of human life and of death. And that's why you can end up having people shouting death to The Jews, death to America, death to freedom because it's death to faith. Why? Because it's death to conscience. Woe to those, this same chapter says in verse 20, who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes, and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to them." That's where these protesters are at, pro-Hamas protesters. These verses apply to them in a very direct way. The loss of conscience. This, brothers and sisters, we see across the board when we examine the ways that the Democrat Party is harming America. It's a loss of conscience when you can't stand up for free speech, when you can't acknowledge God, when you can't stand up for the right to life of of little babies. These people want to have abortion, not only until birth, but they don't even want to protect these babies after birth. We can argue about all the different reasons. We can argue about all the politics, but it's conscience that's missing here. And it's conscience that is under attack. All right, we pray, we continue to witness. Thank God we're making some progress. Good riddance to these university professors who don't see, uh, and, and presidents who don't seem to have a conscience. Now, what happened on Friday with the gag order? So, we had talked about the fact that um, in, um, in one of these trials here regarding President Trump and the 2020 uh, election, and by the way, he didn't try to overturn the election. Uh, you don't, you're not overturning an election when you're raising questions about its, its outcome. To raise questions about whether an election was conducted fairly, to raise questions in regard to whether the votes were counted properly and legally and constitutionally and fairly and without political bias, to raise those questions is our fundamental right, and it's nothing new in America, nothing new. You go back to the beginning. You see this all the time. To start criminalizing that, that is the weaponization of government. When you criminalize the fundamental right of citizens to question their, their elections and their election results, you're just raising questions. Nobody who dismisses these claims that the 2020 election was stolen, nobody who keeps saying, oh, but you see, the, you know, the courts, uh, they didn't come down on, uh, on Trump's side. I, I want to ask any of these people, you, you, you've got the answers to the questions? As to what explains the statistical impossibilities, not just improbabilities, impossibilities of the, the statistical analysis. Then you've got the legal analysis uh, of uh, you know, whether a state should just violate its own laws, election workers just, just, just throw aside the, pa- the, the parameters and the deadlines set by that body which the Constitution says manages elections in the states, which is the state legislature. Oh, yeah, we'll just keep counting ballots that come in after election day. Never mind the law that says uh, they have to be in by a certain deadline. Never mind the deadline. Never mind the requirement for signatures. Never mind all this. In other words, why? None of those who dismiss these election concerns have any answers to any of the questions that the rest of us have raised. They've never had the answers to them, and they never will. So it's not settled. Now, people say, yes, we need to move on, and President Trump is talking about the future when he talks about making sure we have honest elections. But you can't deal with the future unless you you deal with it in the light of the past. Okay, well, all of this to say, we have talked about the fact that Judge uh, 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 Ch- Ch- Chutkin, yeah, I was forgetting her name, Tanya Chutkin, the gag order had been placed on President Trump saying, you cannot speak out against the, uh, the um, uh, prosecutor here or uh, the, uh, or the um, people involved uh, in the trial and, uh, and so on and so forth. And this was appealed, of course. Uh, President Trump appealed this. And the the appeals court on Friday, what did they do? They narrowed it. They said Judge Judge Chutkin went too far. So let's look at this a little bit more closely. It was a three-judge panel in the uh, the D.C. uh, appeals court. They actually kept most of the restrictions in the original order. What did they change? They lifted the prohibition on Trump personally criticizing special counsel Jack Smith, who is overseeing the prosecution. Jack Smith is a deranged lunatic. I'm saying that. Those are also words that President Trump used. He's a thug. I'm saying that. Those are also words that President Trump used. The appeals court said, look, Smith, quote, is no more entitled to protection from lawful public criticism than the Justice Department as a whole and um, he was told he could criticize the Justice Department as an entity of government, well, Jack Smith is just uh, in the same boat, not protected from public criticism. Now, the court also narrowed the limits on what President Trump could say about witnesses in the case. So instead of going along with Chutkin's wide prohibition on criticizing witnesses, the appeals court said, well, the only comments that are pro- pro- prohibited here are about their involvement in the investigation and their potential testimony at the trial. But going, against, going beyond that, as Chutkin did, sweeps in more protected speech than is necessary. Now, look. You, I presume most of you, as well as I, think this whole thing is, is a sham and, uh, and unconstitutional for, a re- a, for one fundamental reason uh, that, I will, uh, that I will get to uh, in a moment. But you see here, even with these corrupt people, even in the midst of this weaponization of government, Something very, very strong and deep in the American spirit and the American legal system is that you don't limit speech more than necessary in those very, very narrow circumstances in which you can limit it in the first place at all. Free speech is of such a high order that the government has to have a compelling interest and there's got to be no other way to achieve that compelling interest uh, if it's going to limit freedom of speech for some particular purpose but that purpose better be well identified it better be a compelling interest and what they do better not limit speech any more than is absolutely necessary now in this case i don't see how this is necessary at all the other side is trying to say um Let me read this. Uh, The appeals court said, we agree with the district court that some aspects of Mr. Trump's public statements pose a significant and imminent threat. Now, here's where I want to get to the key. I think this is the key point. Then we're going to go back into prayer and then we'll continue next, next show. Listen to this. Some aspects of his statements pose a significant and imminent threat to the fair and orderly adjudication of the ongoing criminal proceeding. Now, you tell me, what's the fundamental problem here with limiting his speech based on the rationale that we have to have a fair criminal proceeding? The obvious problem with this is, in this case, the criminal proceeding is not fair in its essence. And that is what President Trump is speaking about. You, you see the, the, the dilemma here? The reason that he, there should not be a gag order at all is that it begs the question. The very reason they think is, is somehow persuasive, that they're putting forth to tell him to keep quiet is undermined by the existence of the proceeding itself. Because there was no crime. As I was already explaining, as we've explained many times, and as you already know, and as so many others are explaining, it is no crime to question an election. It is no crime to demand that certain questions about an election be answered and investigated. And this is all that President Trump is trying to do. So that going forward, we can have more confidence in our elections in America and not become a tyranny. But they're saying, oh, well, we have to make sure we have a fair criminal proceeding. If that's the case, well, then how about applying fairness from the very beginning to the question of whether there should be a criminal proceeding at all? This is what President Trump is saying. He's he's accusing Jack Smith of being a deranged lunatic and a thug for even bringing these indictments in the first place. That's the whole point. In other words, we're skipping over, again, we're skipping over the fundamental question. The fundamental problem is why is this happening? The proceeding itself isn't based on a crime. The proceeding itself is political interference, election interference, weaponization of government, and it has to be resisted. And the only way people resist the weaponization of government, it starts, anyway, with their freedom of speech. We've got to be able to criticize the government. Brothers and sisters, this, you see the, 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 the irony here. Again, let me just one more time. They're saying that they can still limit some of President Trump's speech because they want a fair and orderly adjudication of an ongoing criminal proceeding, which in and of itself is not fair, but is a weaponization of government. Now, who's going to point that out? Wow, and this is, we got to go back into prayer here. Woe to those, let's go back to, let's go back to Isaiah. Oh my goodness. Is, has there ever been a time in American history where these words have been more applicable to what's going on? Let's go right back into prayer here. The Word of God, Isaiah 520. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight let us pray lord god we pray for these judges we pray for this prosecutor we pray for all the prosecutors and all the judges that are involved right now in what is nothing less than an absolutely unprecedented weaponization of government in America. They're not going after crimes in search of people. They're going after a person in search of a crime. And what's worse, a person running for the highest office in our land. This has not been tried before. and This will not stand. Lord God, we ask one simple thing here, that as this weaponized government continues to try to shut up their political opponent, they may realize that their political opponent is not just that one man that they're trying to silence. It's us, and this is our response. You're trying to silence Donald J. Trump. But it's not just he as an individual running for president, it's us. We are running for president. We are a movement running precisely to restore a nation where freedom of speech is paramount for us all. And to the extent, Lord God, that they say he needs to be quiet, we will speak a hundred times louder. That's our response. That's how we fix this. We will speak a 100 times louder. Yes, we will speak about the witnesses in this trial. Yes, we will speak about the prosecutor. Yes, we will speak about the judges. Yes, we will speak about the Department of Justice. Yes, we will speak about whoever we want to speak about. Lord God, we will resist the tyranny that the Democrats are trying to impose on us. We will resist this election interference. How? By being more involved than ever before, whether or not a person is in support of President Trump as an individual candidate, let them realize and let them rise up to say and to see that this is the moment where we must stand against this tyranny if we stand at all for freedom, for fair elections, and for free speech. Bless us, Lord, with that zeal and with that clarity and with that strength. and Give us victory. We pray now, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever, amen. Listen, Hunter Biden has been indicted. We're gonna talk about that on the next program. Again, a lot of biblical insights into that that we wanna bring you, but this gag order stuff, this uh, business with, on the campuses. Keep all this in mind, friends, and pa- explain this to your fellow uh, voters, as we've talked about it here today. So we can we can rally them. Ultimate bottom line: speak out louder and mobilize even more voters than ever to bring tremendous victories in 2024. We've absolutely got to defeat this uh, weaponized government. Thank you. God bless you. Great to be with you as always, and we'll we'll talk to you next time. Hello, this is Father David Begany. Like many priests, I am inspired and always learning from the ministry of Priests for Life, which is one of the largest and most visible pro-life organizations in the world. This ministry relies on your financial support to be able to do its work, produce its programs, and travel the world to advocate for the unborn. May I ask you to support Priests for Life generously? Go today to ProLifeGift.org and give as generous a gift as you can. Thank you so much, and be assured of our daily prayers for you. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.